0: It sounded like a woman sobbing. And for some reason, it made me want to cry too. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, as always, I want to send out some thank yous. First, a big thank you to those of you who continue to support my podcast with your generous donations. So thank you, Brian Kenny, Helen Corning, Jamie Dorsey, and Kristen McNeely. Remember, I never charge a subscription or make you pay for bonus material. So if you'd like to support the podcast and help me keep my costs down, just head over to my website myparanormalstory.com and click on that donate button or you can buy a mug or a t-shirt. I really do appreciate it. I also want to thank everyone who has been commenting on my social media posts. I've been posting lots of memes and polls lately and I love reading your feedback. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for my paranormal story podcast. And I got to also thank those of you who have subscribed and commented on my new YouTube channel as well. You can check that out at youtube.com slash myparanormalstory. And thanks for all your emails too, especially Brandy Bulo. I think I'm saying that right. Thanks for sharing your stories with me, Brandy. If you'd like to email me and comment on this podcast, invite me to be on your podcast, or tell me your paranormal story, you can write to me, at my paranormal story podcast at gmail.com. Okay, that's it for the thank yous. Here's my latest episode. It's dedicated to Ruthie. I pulled up in front of the house in an old U-Haul truck my mother rented for me. There wasn't much in it. I didn't own much. Just a few pieces of furniture and some clothes. I was 20 years old and moving into my first apartment. It was a large blue house that stood out at the end of a busy street in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Three stories high, with five small apartments in it. It had an old staircase with big white banisters and a large wooden crucifix cross at the top of it. I moved my stuff into the smallest apartment in the house, on the second floor in the back. And when I say small, I mean small. The living room had just enough space for my love seat sized couch, a small entertainment center and a beat-up beanbag chair in the corner. The bedroom was a little bit bigger, long, but barely wide enough to fit my futon bed and bureau. The kitchen was so tiny that you couldn't even open the refrigerator door all the way without it hitting the countertop. And the bathroom was even smaller than that. It had an old white tub, you know, the kind with the claw feet at the bottom? That took up most of the space. It had a flimsy pipe that went up from the faucet to form a shower. A shower that was, like, a foot shorter than me. The toilet was directly across from the tub, so close that my knees would touch it. And the bathroom sink was directly in front of a small frosted window. There was no mirror or medicine cabinet, so I had to buy a mirror and screw it into the window frame so I could at least see my face when I shaved. The other apartments in the house all had people living in them. Above me, on the third floor, there were three guys living together. All around my age, I never saw the apartment But I think it was the biggest of all the apartments because it covered the entire house, but with lots of slanted ceilings, I'm guessing. I knew one of those guys. His name was Jimmy. He worked with me at the baseball stadium down the street. He was known for being everyone's weed dealer. I mean, not for me, I was never into that. But he and his roommates had made their third floor apartment into their headquarters. And they always had visitors coming and going. And the door to the staircase that led up to their apartment was right next to my apartment door. So quite often, I would get strange people knocking at my door, looking for them. There was one other apartment on my floor, besides mine, on the opposite side of the house, towards the front depressed, middle-aged woman was living there. She was all alone, she'd recently been divorced, and because of her mental health issues, I'm guessing, her ex-husband got custody of their two kids. And she wasn't dealing with the situation very well. She seemed quite distraught, and probably not getting the psychiatric care she needed. On the first floor, in the apartment directly below me, was a gay man 27 years old and also living alone he seemed like a very nice guy from what I could tell but he was also having relationship issues he was dating a couple of different men at the same time but none too seriously I guess he would often call those 1 900 dating lines looking for new people to meet it felt as if he was trying to live two different lives one as a gay man and one is a straight man. He would change the tone of his voice based on who he was talking to, low and manly with some people, and high-pitched and relaxed with others. I'm honestly not sure which voice was his real one, probably somewhere in between. The reason I knew so much about my neighbors was because I used to listen to their phone conversations, all of them. This was the early 1990s, before the days when everyone had cell phones. We all had landlines in our homes, and many of those landline telephones were cordless. Cordless phones were all the rage back then. You could talk on the phone in any room of your house, no more being tied to a cord that was only so long. You could even go outside in the yard on some phones. It was amazing sci-fi stuff to us at the time. These futuristic cordless phones worked on radio frequencies. They had small transmitters and receivers in them. And like all radio transmissions, if you know what frequency it's on, you can listen. And one of my favorite gadgets at the time was my scanner. It was an old tabletop Uniden scanner made for listening to the police, the fire department, weather reports, things like that. It had a digital readout with numbers and a bunch of buttons on it. In the back there was a telescoping metal antenna. And you could program any frequencies you want into it. And not just police and fire. You could listen to government agencies, the the port police, uh, utility workers, and many others, all communicating and going about their business. But what many people didn't know at the time was you could program frequencies for cordless telephones into your scanner. I learned this one day from an old high school friend of mine who was now a police officer. He told me that police would often use their scanners to listen to people's cordless telephone calls. He had a list of like 10 different frequencies that were used on most of the different brands of telephones available back then. And he gave me a copy of the list. He said it was completely legal. So I quickly found myself spending night after night, eavesdropping on all my neighbors' phone calls. It became like an addiction It was the only distraction I had from my own depression and problems. I was all alone in this tiny apartment, barely making enough money to pay the bills and struggling with my own loneliness. To be honest, I kind of fit right in with all those other tenants. But it wasn't just telephone calls and policemen I was listening to on the scanner. Occasionally I'd hear other transmissions too. As the scanner would cycle through all the different frequencies, occasionally it would stop on random channels where I would hear strange sounds. Sometimes it would be like an odd electronic sound, like robotic beeping. I used to think maybe they were military codes or something. But if it was late enough at night and I was half asleep, sometimes I would feel like it was aliens talking to each other. And then there was this other transmission. It would pop up now and then. I still remember the frequency number. 177.66, I think. Most of the time, it would sound like white noise. But when I listened closely, sometimes I swear I could hear voices inside the static. So one night, I plugged in some headphones so I could listen to it better. And it sounded like someone singing. Not singing, but humming. Like someone humming a song to themselves. It would happen a few times, but it would only last for a minute or two. And every time I would see that channel pop up, I'd quickly plug in my headphones and listen. It was a person, I think, a woman, humming to herself. But it wasn't coming from a phone call or a police radio. It was just kind of there. There was one other person living in the house that I haven't mentioned yet. And I got to know her pretty well, too. Not from eavesdropping on her phone calls, but from actually talking to her. Her name was Ruthie. And I'm guessing she didn't have a cordless phone. Or if she did, she never got any calls that I heard. But aside from Jimmy on the third floor, Ruthie was the only one in the building I ever actually talked to in person. That day I was moving in, she greeted me from her porch. Her first floor apartment was the only apartment with a porch. And she would sit out there in her rocking chair on most days. I'm not sure how old she was, but I was 20, so anyone over 65 was old to me. Whenever I'd be coming in or going out, I'd usually stop and chat with her for a bit. She was a sweet old lady with a great sense of humor. She loved to laugh. She had this childlike laugh too, and it would make you want to laugh with her. It was like a little girl giggling, but it was coming out of an older woman's face. And Ruthie would tell me wonderfully hilarious stories about everyone who had lived in that house and the neighborhood for that matter. She knew everything about everyone. And she didn't need a scanner to do it, either. She just sat there on her porch in that rocking chair, observing everyone, every day. Ruthie had lived in that house for a long time. She'd seen many people come and go. One afternoon, as I was sitting with her for a bit, she told me about the history of the house, She hadn't always lived there, but she did grow up in the neighborhood, and she remembered that the house wasn't always an apartment building like it was today. Back in the 1940s and 50s, when Ruthie was just a teenager, the house was more of a convent of sorts. It was where many nuns and young women studying to become nuns used to live. Most of the nuns worked and trained at the local church or taught classes at the Catholic school, both were just down the street. I remember I could hear the church bells from my apartment every day. Ruthie said she would see the nuns walking up and down the street every day like penguins, she called them. Back and forth to the church and the school or just out and about enjoying the weather. And they always walked in pairs, she said but they were very pleasant and nice to everyone in the neighborhood. But then one day, out of the blue, the convent was shut down. All the nuns had suddenly moved out of the house, and the house stood empty for several years. For the longest time, no one would say why. It wasn't until Ruthie was a little bit older that she heard it was because one of the nuns died in the house. And the cause of death was suspicious. No one ever really knew what happened for sure. But there were rumors of a love affair. And some people say the nun was murdered. Some would say it was poison. Others said it was suffocation. But by who? And why? If I ever start a true crime podcast, I'm going to look into it. Ruthie said it was like a soap opera playing out in real life. Now, I don't know how much truth there was to Ruthie's story. She could have been making the whole thing up just to see the look on my face. And every now and then when I would see her, she'd ask, Have you seen any nuns lately? And then she'd giggle with her childlike laughter. I won't lie, though. Her story did have me a little spooked. Did a nun really die in the house? I mean, either way, it didn't matter. I hated living there. Talking with Ruthie was about the only thing I ever liked about that house. One night around 9:30, I was lying in bed watching TV with the scanner on in the background and I heard that familiar static sound from the weird voice channel, so I quickly muted my TV and plugged my headphones into the scanner. The white noise was crinkling and crackling, and I listened closely, expecting to hear that strange woman humming again. But this time, it was different. This time, it sounded more like sobbing. Like someone was crying. It only lasted for a minute or two. And then it went back to static. I don't know why the woman was crying, but for some reason, it made me want to cry too. I mean, I was already in a bad place emotionally. But for some reason, this mystery woman on my scanner was bringing tears to my eyes. Suddenly... There was a loud bang from the other room. Someone was knocking on my door. It startled me at first, but for some reason it also made me angry. I sprang up from my bed and stormed over to the door. I swung it open quickly, ready to yell at whoever it was bothering me at such a late hour. And standing there at my door was this pretty young blonde woman probably in her twenties or so. She looked at me shocked, probably from the way I violently opened the door. And we just stared at each other silently for what felt like an eternity. Until finally, she whispered softly, is Jimmy here? And I sighed as if I'd been holding my breath the whole time. I pointed down the hall. His door is over there. I closed my door and went back to the scanner. And I stayed up listening for a while, but there was no more crying or humming. I just laid there listening to the static until I fell asleep. The next day I told Ruthie about my unexpected visitor at the door. And she giggled her giggle and said, you should have invited her in. And I laughed too. But I couldn't help telling her that I was worried about those guys on the third floor. Someday it might not be a pretty girl at my door. It might be some seedy characters looking to rob someone. Or the police kicking in my door to raid the apartment. And she told me I should just talk to Jimmy about it. So the next day I did. I didn't really want to get involved, but I explained to Jimmy that the police were listening to him and his roommates, making drug deals over the phone. I told him because I was listening too, and that they should be more careful. But he just laughed it off, didn't seem worried at all. As the days and weeks went by, more strange things continued to happen in the old house. I came home from work one day. It was around six at night. And outside the house were a bunch of police cars, fire trucks, and an ambulance. They had the whole area blocked. I couldn't even park my car where I normally did. I had to park down the street and walk down the sidewalk just to get home. Along the way, I was thinking, well, the police finally arrested Jimmy and his roommates. Maybe I'll get there just in time to watch them coming down the stairs in handcuffs. But no. Instead, I saw paramedics taking someone out of the house covered in a white sheet on a stretcher. I asked the policeman what happened, and my heart sunk. It was Ruthie. Apparently, she had passed away during the night. Her daughter sent the police and the landlord there to check on her when she didn't answer her phone for a couple of days. I was heartbroken. The following week, they had her funeral at the church down the street. I didn't go, but I couldn't help thinking about her giggling at all the penguins who were probably standing around her. A few days later, I came home from work and noticed Ruthie's apartment was vacant. The curtains and the windows were gone, and inside it was empty. They took everything, except her rocking chair, which was still on the porch. Occasionally, I'd see it rocking, from the wind most likely, but I used to like to think it was her. With Ruthie gone, I found myself really hating this house. I was literally mad at the house, as if it had killed her. I'm still mad whenever I drive by it. I immediately began looking for a new apartment. I needed to get out of there. Everything in the house was quickly beginning to change. My depression and sadness was getting worse. And the things I was hearing on the scanner were getting scarier. The man on the first floor was suddenly sick. He was making phone calls to doctors and medical clinics all the time trying to make an appointment he was also worried about his job at the bank he kept calling in sick not just because he wasn't feeling good but because one of his co-workers had found out he was gay and was telling everyone else in the bank i guess he didn't want his co-workers to know he was afraid they were going to fire him he was in a dark place He was calling those 1-900 dating lines even more now, meeting up with some shady people. And then one night, I heard him having a huge fight with his dad over the phone. I caught the conversation somewhere in the middle, so I'm not sure what they were fighting about, but his father didn't seem very supportive. The call ended with his dad hanging up on him, and I could just feel his pain and sorrow emanating through the house. Things were getting worse for the divorced woman down the hall, too. She continued to call her ex-husband almost every day. And the conversations would start out civil, asking about the kids and stuff. But then they would always get more and more heated by the end of the conversation. The courts had now restricted her visitations with the children. She could only see them while supervised, and this was tearing her up. It's so rare for a judge to rule against a mother in divorces, so whatever was going on with her must have been serious. She would go from begging her ex to let her see the kids to to threatening his life or threatening her own. I would sit there quietly in my apartment listening until she would ultimately hang up and then go on a tantrum through her apartment, almost nightly, throwing things, slamming things, screaming Then one night, after her phone call, after making her usual threats, she hung up the phone, and then nothing. No screams, no bangs, no thuds. Just complete silence. Sometimes, silence is the scariest sound of all. Within a few weeks' time, I was able to find a new place to live. I was going to move in with a friend of mine who had a large two-bedroom apartment on the other side of the city. I wanted to get as far away from this house as I could. I packed up all my stuff, what little I had, and spent one final night in the house. Exhausted from the packing and from life in general, I fell asleep in my bed with the scanner on. suddenly i awoke to the strangest sound the scanner had stopped on that one same spooky channel so i put on my headphones so i could listen through the static and i heard the voice the voice of that woman who had been humming and crying but this time it was different this time she was speaking oh my jesus Forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. I threw the headphones off my head in shock. But then as I sat there, I realized that was a prayer, a rosary prayer. I sat there and pondered for a moment and then put the headphones back over my ears and I heard the woman's voice one more time. This time, it sounded like giggling. Giggling with a childlike laughter. My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Com. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, please visit my website at myparanormalstory.com and click on the donate button. Or if you want, I also have t shirts and coffee mugs for sale. Unfortunately, podcasts cost money, but your support helps me keep the podcast running. Be sure to check out my book called The 10 Best Tools for Ghost Hunting. If you've ever wanted to learn more about the gadgets used in paranormal investigation, you can check it out on audible, Kindle, or amazon.com. Please help my podcast grow by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends on social media, or leave a positive review and five stars wherever you listen. And feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for my paranormal story. If you have a podcast, and would like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question, or tell me your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is My Paranormal Story.